Hey there, my name is Vosh. I live stream on YouTube and Twitch, and sometimes I even upload the good bits. This is Previously Live. Alright, well, it wouldn't be a Vosh stream if we weren't complaining about the left in some way or another. I talked to... Okay, so this is the Dutch word for red, okay? Rude, which is like a youth group that was previously a part of the far left party in the Netherlands, but they're even more far left than the far left party, so they're extra far left, which is great. I love that. Anyway, they talked with me on stream for two, three days ago, and, uh, you know, I got to enlighten them on the wisdom of anarcho Bidenism. It was good, and it was good. But uh, that aside, there was a little bit of a funny fallout from it, you know. Thankfully, Google Translate giving us that hot info. Collaboration with housing project Arnhem canceled. Recently, we were told that Rude is also involved in the Arnhem housing protest. Rude has given a stage to Vosh through a stream who has often said racist, trans hate, and validistic things. This means ableist, by the way. Uh, we, we did some Google foo and the Google Translate. This is ableist, what they're, they're calling me ableism. And this is feminists against ableism. So that's, you know, something they might have a, you know, particular distaste for. Anyway, uh, so to interpret this Dutch nonsense a little bit, apparently this is a lefty group that actually decided not to show up at a housing protest because another lefty group that showed up at the housing protest had a live stream where some of their members talk to me. Now, I'm, I'll admit, I'm a little bit proud of this because previously the greatest instance of IRL left destroying that my affiliation has created was a college leftist group splitting in half over people who did and did not like me. That was like the previous height. But a, politi a political group refusing to show up at a protest is like a whole entirely new... That's like a, you know... That's like a special one. Now, I don't know how big this group is. I don't know if they're like, they could be like 20 people for all of them. I don't know. But it's it's really the sentiment that matters to me. Because um, like, man, if you, if you're, if you're not willing to attend a protest because other people at that protest have been on a live stream with me, they said that they gave me a stage, but like in reality, that's not true. My online presence dwarfs any Dutch lefty youth group. I mean, it's it's not. I I am the stage. I bring the stage with me. I walk with it. It's got little handles. So it's not really about empowering me. It's more about legitimizing me, which isn't really about giving a stage. It's more they listened to me. They talked to me. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, I gotta wonder if if you're not willing to show up at a protest because I was platformed by a group. Like, have you talked to the average person? <laughs> I, I know that a lot of these people haven't because I've been in lefty groups and I know these motherfuckers do not talk to real human beings. But have they ever talked to like a real... If you talk to an average person in America... No, I'm not going to say America. In the Netherlands, okay? I don't know shit about the Netherlands, but I guarantee you that if you talk to the average person in the Netherlands, they're going to be at least moderately reactionary on some issues and they're going to be incredibly politically uneducated and they're sure as shit not going to be a socialist, okay? And if you ask them for their positions on race, trans issues, or ableism, you're going to get anything ranging from a confused stare to a 
deeply problematic answer. That's every country. You are correct. What we're describing right now is known to uh, by, by sociologists as a normal person. I again, I just have to wonder, like, like this this infighting, this factionalism over me. For God's sakes, I'm a YouTuber. You know, it always does frustrate me a little bit because I know that if I actually talk to these people, they really wouldn't disagree with me on my like. The big point of disagreement that when, when I talk with the rude group was whether or not voting for Biden was preferable to abstaining your vote. Like this was, and and by the way, when I tweeted about this group not attending the housing protest, you know, uh, there were some people quote tweeting being like, "Good, we don't want to enable and empower you and your racist." Meh. So so I looked at one of these quote retweets, and one of them was like, um, "Yeah, you're actually like right wing." So I responded, and here, hold on. Don't need to narrate the whole thing. It's almost like actual activists don't want to be linked to a reactionary who outside of America is centrist at best and right-wing at worst. <laughs> this is like the opposite of the Bernie Sanders meme. Like, like, oh yeah, dude, Bernie would be right-wing in Europe. No, he wouldn't be. Oh yeah, dude, Vosch would be right-wing in Europe. No, he wouldn't be. Then again, this is the guy who basically butchered the politics of Germany a month or so back. This is what I get for responding to a single fucking donation at 1 a.m. Jeez. Anyway, don't tell me you actually think Vosh in a global contracts, a context is centrist slash center right. I have no love for the guy either, but please keep your head on straight. He literally is. Many groups in a global context share his exact same views are center right. So I respond. I gotta know which are, you know, what? Hit me up. Endorse a center right Democrat who is upholding a status quo of abuse of immigrants and done nothing that was promised within the years. So voting for Biden. Like I've said, guys. The thing that made the left hate me wasn't any of the clip chimps, it wasn't the alleged transphobia or any of the fucking pedo argument, and none of that shit. It was me saying we should vote for Biden. That was it. That was legitimately what broke the left off me. That was what set me apart from them. And then this other one here. You also, for some reason, on multiple occasions advocated we should let right-wingers use slurs if it brings them left. This is incoherent. I never said that. I did say that if you've got, like, edgy white boys who are saying, like, the F-slur, it's better to move them to the left than just let them be moved to the right passively. I, I do believe that. Like, you should be able to talk to them. Like, you shouldn't melt, like, witches having water poured on them when you hear a slur, you know? You should be able to talk and have a conversation with them. And then I told them they were dumb. Which was about as much, you know, about the, the last last we were going to get from that uh but uh anyway it's just the the, the it is truly despair inducing to reflect upon the fact that there are people who consider themselves honest to god in real life activists who are willing to break apart with each other over this like that's legitimately very weird you know you have to be able to work even even if you were to somehow even if you genuinely did believe that uh i was like right wing or whatever not attending a protest because another lefty group talked with a right winger i mean tsh. look this is an instance where the left should probably learn from their enemies. Guys, who are the most dangerous white nationalists? Are they the guys who get a swastika tattooed on their forehead, who show up to Charlottesville, who go to Klan rallies, 
who stockpile ammunition beat their wives and get arrested? No, not even close. The most dangerous ones are the ones who know how to put on a suit, they clean up their language, they know how to work with more moderate conservatives and sometimes even centrists, they deliberately adjust their language in order to appeal to the broadest base possible and slowly convince a much larger group of people that the language and the politics that they use are not adjacent with white supremacy, but rather other political issues that achieve the aims of white supremacy without explicitly condoning it. That is the most dangerous type of white nationalist. Isn't it? It is. And these people are like allergic to understanding that that is how you achieve power as a radical. You don't even have to lie. It's just the basic ability to coalition build. Like this is a Fuentes is the perfect example. No, no. Fuentes is deplatformed from every single. Fuentes is the is the exact example of the first type that we're referring to here. Okay, Fuentes essentially does have a swastika tattooed his forehead. He's banned from everything everywhere. Uh, Tucker Carlson is better, much better at what he does in terms of moving people over to the far right. You know, Richard Spencer was doing an okay job, but endorsing Charlottesville and having that leaked clip from Milo Yiannopoulos kind of shot him in the foot there, didn't he? It's, yeah, Ron DeSantis would be a better example, exactly. It's all about how willing you are to actually play to the majority. That's how everyone builds political power. But people on the left, look, you cannot build majority power if you're on the left, if you're willing to break up movements over whether or not Vouch had a live stream with somebody. That is just wild to me. The, the fact that anyone could consider themselves an activist and do that, that is insane to me. <sighs> well... Damn, is DeSantis a white nationalist to live in Florida? I don't know if he's a white nationalist. Dude's pretty fucked. Well, we can do a stream on him in the future because he's probably going to run for president, but, like, he's pretty mega fucked. It wouldn't surprise me if he was, like, every bad thing, you know? No, it's in German! Or Dutch? Guys, is Dutch just, like, German with, like, fancier letters? Be real with me, okay? Kind of like a cute German. As long as Vosh isn't a literal neo-Nazi, I can't get mad about him speaking to them. I'm not saying Vosh speaks, I'm saying FAA cancel their speaking. What is... Muted the word Vosh? I muted the word Vosh a long time ago. It's the only move. Another speaker, after repeated warnings about how problematic he is, they still talk to him. Yikers. This is the person who doesn't like me. I think it's pretty intense and a shame that a transphobe, pedophile, racist, etc. is invited. Dude, it is crazy how effective the right has been at framing the way the left... Actually, I take that back. The left, in, in terms of how they treat me, the left and the right act pretty similar. I like the etc. though. Like, they can keep going. What a pleasure to be speaking to you all. Again after uh, about 60 seconds of not doing so. Yeah, of course. Are you uh, are you streaming now? Yes, I am. I'm streaming. We're live. You're on cam. You're looking great. Nice. If I do say so Thanks. myself. How you doing? Hi. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm Olaf. I'm the chairperson of uh, ROAD, a socialist youth uh, organization in the Netherlands, a former youth organization of the Socialist Party. But uh, we'll get uh, into how that happened in, in a second. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, um, we uh, would, would we organize this live stream just to have a, have a little discussion. 
but also, um, well, you uh, as a person and, and your YouTube channel uh, is quite uh, controversial also in the Netherlands and also uh, also inside Rood, uh, because there are uh, lots of people um, saying you were uh, transphobic uh, because um, you said that some uh, trans people are uh, are subhuman uh, and are mentally ill. Like how how do you reflect on that? Ah, well, I'm delighted to know my controversy followed me as always. It's a semantic confusion. I've talked about it a few times on my channel, but basically I was dealing with some online drama, if you can believe it. Oh, hold on. Wait, let me start my video on y'all's end. There we go. I don't know why I'm... Didn't have on. There we go. Oh, didn't get these gamer lights for nothing. Anyhow, um, bit of a semantic mismatch there. I've talked about it before on my channel, but essentially I was angry at a group of people online. And it was a group of people, it was largely part of the LGBTQ community, but I was dis very specifically uh, being very mean to them based on characteristics not associated with them being trans. I'll give you an example. West Hollywood, grew up right next to it. Big gay area in Los Angeles. Loved it. Great parties. Halloween every year. Um, however, if you go over there and spend any amount of time there, it is inevitable that at some point uh, somebody is going to spill a drink on you or be very rude at you or cut you off in traffic, and if you're like, ah, this is West High, he's fucking these deep, this, 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 this asshole, this gay, like, I don't know, you freak out like that, maybe, maybe it's bad, it's probably bad, but I think it's possible in, in the sort of semantic chain of descriptors, uh, uh, to, to have negative, you know, uh, negative descriptors, and also, like, say gay without it meaning they're bad for being gay and my my content is overwhelmingly pro-trans if anyone look look at trans on my channel you'll find 200 videos where i'm affirmative so anyway yeah, well anyway i think i mean uh if you specifically mention a group like uh, especially like trans people uh i don't know i think the situation in the u.s probably the same at mm -hmm. least in netherlands they're like uh very very like oppressed and uh, a very oppressed group who is oftenly uh, told that they are mentally ill for like being the way they are or being not fully human or whatever. So do you like understand that uh, specifically to that toward that group that that is something you just don't say? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. It's like a, a heated gamer moment or whatever. Um, it's just yeah. Yeah, of course. I uh, <clears throat> I don't make a habit of it. You know. Uh, no, of course, obviously. The criticisms are well warranted. That's why I've gone over it in the past, you know. If there was nothing to criticize, then uh, 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 then I wouldn't be um, then I wouldn't be so accepting of criticisms of it. I do ask, however, that anyone who tries to form their opinions on my position on trans people entirely from like 30 seconds cut out from a four-hour live stream cut from two and a half years of content, that they, you know, they could diversify their Vosh knowledge and maybe take a look at the thousand other times trans people have come up in a uniformly positive context of my stream? Yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, uh, but I think it still matters uh, what you, how you talk about people and how you approach them even, uh, though like your, your, whatever your policy positions or whatever may they be. Um, I think, yeah, you should like in all contexts uh, treat people with respect, especially like marginalized, marginalized people, like trans people, and don't talk about them in, in, in ways like that. But, of course. Uh, but what do you do after you've acknowledged that? Yeah, of course. You go uh, on a live stream at, uh, with Rot, of course. Yeah. And you, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you keep on, you keep on fighting for the things you believe in. 
So uh, it's, it's one of the problems, I think, with internet discourse, because we only see, like, snippets and cutouts of other people's discourse. You uh, you have the same conversations over and over again. But I'm always happy to, uh, because I understand people's concerns, and I'm always happy to ameliorate them with, uh, you know, my, uh, my, my, my explanation that it is not indicative of some deep-seated hatred on my part. Well, I'm uh, not sure I'm entirely convinced, but that's, uh, anyway, that's up to uh, the viewers as well, I guess. Um, but yeah, maybe we could, uh, I could talk a bit about, uh, about roads and like how we uh, <laughs> go where we are, if, uh, if people uh, may be interested. Hit me up. Yeah, uh, because like, well, we're, um, Rook, we're the former uh, youth wing of the Socialist Party. Uh, in Netherlands, it uh, used to be a, a Maoist party, uh, started in the in, in the 70s. Um, however, they uh, got into Dutch Parliament in the 90s, and they uh, de-radicalized a bit. And now they're yeah, a bit like socialist populism, democratic socialism, however you want to call it. Um, but they do have some uh, conservative undertones, because they, uh, you know, the, um, uh, you probably know like the... Um, stereotype of the white working class who is very conservative and well against trans people and against uh, stuff so they uh, try to explicitly distance themselves from like the more um, progressive uh, parts in, uh, in in Dutch politics uh, like they they really uh, they say they are against like uh, the green party like new intersectional party uh, by aim um, they go for more for the like white conservative uh, older vote. Uh, however, because they were like a Maoist party, they also had um, they stepped away from Maoism, but not from like Maoist party structures. Uh, so they were very uh, strict uh, bureaucratic censor list, um, and that's also true for the youth wing because uh, in most youth wings in Netherlands, I think that's the same in the US. I don't know, well, you don't have parties anyway, so. But for most political parties with youth wing, a youth wing is uh, independent. It can like, form their own opinions, can uh, do their own actions. Um, however, in the socialist party, there was different. Youth wing was always supposed to uh, walk in line um, and was the only youth organization in the Netherlands that was uh, like that. Um, and then while well, the party was uh, moving to the right, um, as uh, leftist parties uh, do, <laughs> most uh, most of them at least last decade, and um, it also declined electorally. So they got less and less seat, uh, less and less members. Uh, so the youth became uh, more critical, uh, but they became also more critical on the party mechanisms because they saw that they could not um, like speak their mind. They could not um, like change the course of the party in any meaningful way. Um, so uh, there was like um, more and more criticisms, uh, and there was a also a more radical left-wing current uh, called the Communist Platform, uh, which I am also a member of, and um, it was growing, and um, the youth wing became more radicalized, uh, and the Socialist Party didn't like that, so they kicked out uh, at first only the Communist Platform, uh, which uh, I was a member of, I was um, expelled. Uh, but I was then uh, already a candidate for the chair of uh, of Rood. Uh and well, everyone in Rood was really angry, and so they still uh, elected me, even though I was kicked out of Socialist Party. <laughs> and then the Socialist Party kicked us out. Um, they disaffiliated. We are not uh, the official youth organization anymore. 
And now they are trying to uh, expel every road member from the uh, Socialist Party. So that's uh, <laughs> that's where we are uh, right now. I think this happened exactly. This is exactly what happened to Rosa Luxemburg. You know, I've heard stories. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 kind of wild listening from an American perspective because stuff like this can't really happen here in America. I know that in um, in the Netherlands, there's a very low threshold for potential electoral participation. You don't yeah. even have to meet like a like a bar to you know, like a, like a minimum vote percentage in order to be allowed into the, uh, the you know, the legislature. You just if you get the votes, you get in. So yeah. hearing all this, I mean, here in America, this kind of sectoral split from split from split, like here in America, this would be a, a meaningless symbolic gesture. In the Netherlands, I, I think maybe it can amount to more, assuming that your group has the the will and the drive to achieve that, you know, that that sort of nationwide interest. Um, what specifically did you split over? I mean, what where were the directions pulling away at? Yeah, well, the thing is, um, because uh, we as uh, wrote, we became more critical and. Uh, there were uh, national elections uh, past March, and uh, last summer, uh, like summer 2020, we um, decided on our uh, general meeting that uh, Roth should uh, openly criticize um, the, as the Socialist Party position of wanting to form a, a coalition, uh, especially with the VVD, like the largest uh, like right-wing uh, conservative party. Um, and they were, um, during the campaign, they were um, saying, well, we, we really want to be in government, especially we can even go along with the with the VVD because they also want to raise the minimum wage. Um, and then we said, no, uh, we don't want to uh, go to, we don't want that the SP uh, goes into a coalition um, after the following elections because there is not enough, the SP is not strong enough, socialism in Netherlands is not strong enough to justify joining a government coalition. Uh, and they got really upset at that. And then they um, they blamed the communist platform, uh, like a tendency uh, within uh, Rood and the SP. Um, they blamed the communist platform for that. And so they uh, wanted to uh, kick out the communist platform. And um, well, Rood uh, did not <laughs> because they, well, they elected me as a chair and they uh, elected some other uh, board members. Um, who are also in the communist platform. And um, the, the Socialist Party did not like that as well, so they, uh, they kicked us out. So um, that was like the political stuff, uh, but it was also about uh, democracy, like internal democracy, um, like accepting uh, different uh, factions and tendencies, uh, allowing for open debate, um, stuff like that. That's uh, the most important uh, reasons for split. Which are also things you see in many left-wing organizations who still like use the old uh, model of the Comintern, um, where like no internal factions, no open uh, disagreement with the leadership, uh, stuff like that. I mean, I heard about the YCL, the, the Young Communist League in the, in the UK, that they have like a social media policy. Uh, they want to in introduce a social media policy where you cannot openly criticize the party on uh, on Twitter or something like that. It's ridiculous. But uh, I think the Socialist Party, some people in the Socialist Party, uh, if they could have the power to do that, they would uh, love to. But um, it's stuff like that that we, um, that we fight and that we stand for. 
as I think one of the most important reasons that we got uh, kicked out. Oh, well, I'm not going to fault those things. I um I understand that youth wings tend to be a lot more ideologically motivated. Um, usually the um the older or the more established wing of left leaning parties, uh, they they tend to be um at least a little more incrementalist. I mean, I was in college not too long ago. I know that college students are the demographic most likely to be, you know, quoting, you know, Marx and, and spitting out fiery sermons about the need for immediate revolution. And people do burn out of that, I think, a little bit the older they get. Um, I do think it's important to have that radical influence in socialist parties, though, especially since there are so many, quote, socialist parties in Europe that are really just social democratic parties that are fallen shadows of what they used to be, which is deeply disappointing. Yeah. Um how do you what 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 core issues do you tend on capturing the electorate with? I mean, what what are the what are the axes, the the open avenues by which you think you can um, usurp the power of the organization you used to be a part of? Yeah, well, we um, as a youth wing, we're now um, mainly focusing on um, like how to be an independent youth organization because we have like way less money, uh, but we are just, we are growing. Because we see that uh, there are a lot of lots of young people in Netherlands, and I think that's the same worldwide. Uh, they're like fed up with capitalism, and they um, they want to uh, they want to join something and they want to join a movement to um, that can actually change that and to overthrow capitalism. And Rood um, is in that sense uh, unique, I think, from other organizations, especially in Netherlands, and that we uh, are. Uh, we see ourselves as revolutionary, as we actually want to put an end to capitalism and not like the um, endless incremental uh, reforms that uh, never go anywhere. Uh, but we do not organize ourselves in like the, the sect uh, way that many uh, radical left-wing organizations do, where you like cannot criticize the leadership or like um, the communist youth movement in the Netherlands. Like they today uploaded an article about... Uh, about uh, the hung Hungarian uh, counter-revolution and and how and just repeating the old Stalinist uh, talking points. I mean, people are not waiting for that. I think. Um, you know, it's it's funny because you know before coming on here, I was seeing people in my chat saying that your youth wing has like a tanky problem. I know my community tends to be a little knee-jerk on issues like that, so I was curious actually where you in, in in terms of the sort of historical struggle for socialism, where where does your where does your party tend to have a slant? Yeah, well, um, I mean, people call uh, anyone a tanky uh, these days, but um, yeah, we we are like um, we are a broad organization. Uh, we're containing anywhere from like diehard uh, communists, even some people that I would describe as tankies in a way, uh, but also like anarchists, uh, maybe some social democrats are still left. But um, anyway, the, I think the main uh, points of our organization are like revolutionary, so uh, revolutionary socialism, Marxism, and um, people are, I think, um, like attracted to the um, like the old ideas of Marx, but also of Lenin. Um, but do not uh, go along with like the uh, Stalinist um, uh, tradition of like uh, just wanting to uh, to defend every every aspect of the Soviet Union or whatever. We are uh, like internationalist, uh, socialist, revolutionaries. I think I'm, I mean most of us. I think, um, and like we would. I, many people um, get their inspiration from. Uh, 
also people like uh, Kowski or uh, and also Lenin or Trotsky, uh, but we're not like Trotskyists or or Leninists or uh, or whatever. I think that's a bit of a reduction. It's a bit of a reduction to um, just confine yourself to like one person who had the right idea in the historical struggle or whatever. All right, I'm just curious. I know you said that there were some people sitting out of this Zoom call um, uh, because of my controversy or whatever. And if there's anything for which I'd be considered controversial, I would prefer it be the idea that I'm somehow bigoted against marginalized people than because I'm uh, not pro-Stalin enough or whatever. At least the former indicates uh, you know, a good set of moral positions on the part of the people who think they disagree with me. Um, well, I think that the, the question is that you're that you're not pro-Stalin. I think most people don't uh, disagree with that. But I think there are like other positions that you have taken in the past that would uh, very uh, different. They'd uh, love my positions. But also people like, uh, but yeah, I think um, I don't know your polit politics very well. Um, but I've, I've heard some things about, oh, uh, Biden would be a Leninist or whatever, or <laughs> Lenin would vote Biden. No, or, no that, that like right that. there. No, no, no. That's exactly what I mean. I tweeted that out as a, as a, as a joke. Um, but people took it seriously. I said, no, no, no. I said, um, Kamala Harris is, is like the next Mao or no, wait, what was it? Bloomberg is the modern Engels, you know, a wealthy man using his wealth to build socialism. So, so amazing yeah, I'm not, stuff. I'm not, I'm not even, uh, phenomenal tweets like that. that, but people did take them seriously, which, which is, yeah. which was, you know, interesting to me because I, I think that even like a passing familiarity with a concept of irony would, would, would make one aware, but anyway, 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 um, I understand, uh, you know, information economy and all that. It's, um, I feel like positions wise, I would probably agree with most of what the, the youth party has to say. Um, unless there are any skeletons in the closet of which I'm unaware. I'm not entirely familiar with the history uh, of, of the party. How do you maintain ideological hegemony within the youth wing? So obviously some dissent is good, but too much dissent within a party means that you become shiftless, uh, unfocused abstract and useless it becomes impossible to focus on a message yeah what we uh what we do we're working on a, a program uh like a um uh like which is very short but just like some few basic points about uh about our uh, analysis of the world about our goal and about our strategy um and um people can disagree with that that's that's uh fine but we want to use that as like our guidance to action, like everyone who accepts it as like um, um, as as a starting point from which we uh, which we organize ourselves, then that's fine. Um, so yeah, we we um, and of course there's going to be disagreements. I mean, we want to uh, we want to take over. I mean, we want to organize the the mass the mass of people. We want to uh, want to convince a majority of the world, a majority of the working class, like of our ideas. I mean, of course, you're going to have disagreements. Um, there are some people even within road life calling for uh, theoretical unity or whatever. I mean, it's fine if, if people can disagree about whatever they want, but you need to have like some uh, unifying um, ideas and whatever you call yourself then or whatever um, dissenting opinions you may have, that's all fine. Um, people should be free to express them and to convince other members of their opinions. 
and to convince to um, convince the leadership uh, of their opinions. I mean, that's that's how you uh, build a democracy. Um, but yeah. No, no, I completely understand. It's it is difficult to reconcile that 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 um, uh, how do you say it? that balance though, right? Because of course, the more you allow people to freely dissent and have different opinions, what have you, it becomes very difficult to concentrate a message. I know that's one of the things I think that sort of gravitates political parties and bourgeois democracy towards uh, sort of electoral reform rather than revolutionary action. It's that there's a sort of single mindedness that you need in order to meaningfully move voters over on some positions, not just on a single issue, but generally you need a very concentrated path, you know? But the average worker these days, you know, if you talk to an average worker in America, at least, I assume this is the same in the Netherlands, but if you talk to them about socialism or the proletariat or the bourgeois or seizing the means of production, they don't care. Their eyes glaze over. They care about things like tax incentives and the economy being good, employment being fine, inflation not being too high. These are the economic motivators they care about, which means that in terms of our ability to affect revolutionary potential, our 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 language must be constrained to the 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 economic terminology of modern liberalism, and in that well, purview, I don't, I don't, it's I don't, difficult. I don't, I don't think so, because well, the thing is, you have uh, of course people don't know, people don't care, and people think you're crazy if you're a socialist or revolutionary or whatever. I mean, that's the same in the Netherlands. Uh, but like as we also do with uh, with roads, we are active in uh, campaigns. We're actually very active uh, in social movements. Uh, for example, housing is a big problem in the Netherlands. I assume it's the same in the US. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a large um, uh, housing campaign. And we as Rode, we're, uh, we're there. Um, we try to form uh, local uh, committees of uh, like housing rights uh, organization and political parties, political organization, whatever. Um, and uh, inside those groups, we uh, talk to people and we say, well, uh, you have uh, like a problem with housing. You have uh, like a shitty landlord. Uh, you you can't get a you can't find a home. You see all these investors um, taking away our houses and uh, speculating with it, whatever. And from that point, you can explain people. Well, the reason why you, you we have this uh, is because of capitalism and because of those capitalists. And what we have to do is organize ourselves and uh, to um, overthrow the system. Because, um, like, well, we, oh, fuck, that's onteigen in it Engels. Yeah, like, we have, like, a slogan um, in, in a housing, mo housing uh, movement. Like, we have to uh, confiscate the houses of the landlords. And people like that. Young people who, um, who may not be uh, rev revolutionaries or socialists or whatever, they know, oh, well, these landlords, they charge high rents. They... Um, they don't do anything, they make a lot of money, and I don't have a house, well, we should take it from them. And that's very basic, very logical. And then when you uh, try to explain to them, like, how are we going to do that? Well, by um, trying to organize ourselves and taking over power, taking over power from those people, from the people who have the houses, from the people who uh, own the businesses, whatever. And then we can take it and take what's ours. And from those basic economic starting points, you can really convince people uh, to believe in the, the message of socialism. Because yeah, you, you're not gonna walk up to any random stranger saying, well, did you know what Lenin said about this? No, of course not. You, uh, you introduce them 
to, to them by uh, talking about the, the things they know about climate change, about housing, about education, whatever. And um, you connect the problems they experience to uh, like this larger socialist uh, anti-capitalist message, and then you can convince them. And it's not necessary to um, like to to be afraid of of your own radicalism and to just talk to them in in like uh, liberal or social democratic demands uh, because they don't work, and people know that they don't work. And um, yeah, it I really think depends on the people, right? I would look this. I mean, this could be sort of a, a difference in our respective nations' attitudes towards these issues. But I feel like when you're talking to Americans, if you talked about taking houses back from the landlords, they would stare at you blankly. Like that's pretty much the most you would get from about ninety-five percent of the population. Now, that's that's not to say it's not possible to introduce more radical concepts using language that's familiar to the average person. Bernie Sanders was able to do that at least on some <clears throat> on some issues i think and that's very good um it just feels like it's the, it's that revolutionary lump right because here's the thing you can get people and you know taking houses back from the landlords maybe if you introduce it well you sell it you know honey uh give give, give them some oil to take it down with but um revolutionary potential i mean what what, what are they going to say they're going to say you know yeah we should vote to take the houses back that leap, I mean, the idea of getting people on board with, like, uh, you know, more radical approaches, it seems overwhelmingly difficult to get people interested in, in something beyond the, the reformist perspective, you know? Well, I don't, I don't think so, because when you talk to people, like, in a, let's take the United States, for example, you're going to say, okay, well, we vote to take the House back. What's the uh, what's Supreme Court going to do? Uh, what's, the, what's the Senate going to do? What's, uh, you know, what's, what are those uh, wealthy Democrats going to do? Are they going to allow that? No, of course not. I mean, they're, they're not going to do that. So when you, um, when you talk to people and, and say like, well, uh, you know, these basic demands, um, and we, we, try to, we try to implement it like in an incremental way, you can just say that, well, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? When we um, spend a lot on, on social security or whatever, uh, I mean, in the Netherlands, the European Union is, is going to be angry. Um, when we do a lot of uh, radical uh, stuff, the United States is going to uh, put an embargo on us, like, like they do in Venezuela or, or other types of countries. I mean, if you uh, try to explain that and, and, and think those steps further and, and explain and talk with these people, like what's going to happen next? Um, yeah, like it's almost inevitable. Well, it's not going to happen uh, when we just do it like the incrementalist way. And it's a slow process and it's not um, something that happens very quick. Uh, but I do believe that you can convince people by talking to them um, and by uh, doing um, by being active in the social movements, because especially in the social movements, there are people who are fed up with the system, uh, how it's now, and um, then you can talk to them and they can see uh, the, the problems of the current system, the problem of the current movements that are also uh, very much um, bureaucratized, uh, probably the same in the US, with uh, bureaucratic unions and, and stuff like that. And then we... Um, and people know that and people see that. And when we can um, talk to them, we can give them the whole, we can give them hope that it can, um, that we can do something different and we can uh, organize ourselves to, um, to overthrow it. Oh, well, I hope so. 
I think that's a spectacularly optimistic perspective on the potential to move people on over in these issues. It's not easy, and it takes uh, quite. It will probably take quite a long no, time. No, no, no. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not dismissing the perspective either. I think that there are a lot of there are there are a number of cultural and um, informational apparatuses. I think that are really good at trapping people within capitalist realism and making it difficult for them to perceive options outside of that. You have aberrations from time to time. Again, Bernie Sanders while he didn't advocate for revolutionary socialism, did move many people over to that position by agitating them and getting them angry with the way things are. And I think that's a lovely thing. Um, I just, I, I am sometimes concerned. Uh, how do I put this? I feel like uh, when we when we overstep or overestimate, it can become very difficult to affect real change. Or uh, to put it another way, while I don't disagree with your logic, history is littered with the bones of thousands of idealistic youth communist leagues that have achieved nothing because they were idealistic and they had no actual way of reaching a significant number of people. So that's not a mark on these groups, okay? Lovely folks. I'd probably be a member of one of them if I ever left my house. But it is, it is something I'm always concerned about. It's something I always have to think about. And, I, you know, it's, it's, we, we, we accept the compromise inherent in, like, reformist, bourgeois electoralism. Um, but sometimes people aren't willing to accept the, the alternative, which is sometimes the, the, the near-absolute impotence of any action outside of that. It's breaking from that dichotomy that's the difficult part, I think. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, that's true. It's, uh, it's difficult, but I think we should at least... Uh try it mm -hmm. uh but anyway i think it's um like 8 uh, 30 now so we move on to uh other uh, road members who uh, joined in on the on the zoom call i love other um, road members hello yeah hey thank you uh, this is the moderator speaking uh the next on the list is uh Siebren. uh Siebren, the floor is yours hello can everyone hear me or can Vash hear me howdy yes and yes of course. Hey, Vash. Uh, my name is Sibra. I'm a Dutch political streamer and activist. And I was watching your video on how you want to establish socialism. And you were mainly talking about winning the culture war and electing left-wing politicians. And however, when we look at all what has historically succeeded in furthering policy for uh, social causes, it has been extra-parliamentary action for the most part. Protests, unions, strikes, and other means have furthered socialist causes more than any reform. Accomplishments such as the 40-hour work week, women's voting rights, the end of segregation, the FDR New Deal, which was mostly put in place under pressure from unions. I could go on about all of these examples, but uh, I think organizing is the best means to winning uh, soil for socialists in the political uh, landscape because i don't think you uh, beat uh, insanely large corporations by participating in their own game so what do you think is more effective uh, pushing for elections and electoralism or organizing an action they have to be done in unity you're describing reform right now you know uh, yes. protests and uh, general strikes and what have you have been successful in this country in large part because there was a simultaneous external pressure and the electorate was amicable to those changes, you know. Uh, it, what would have happened mm -hmm. if, uh, you know, different presidents had been around at different times? If conservatives had been there instead of FDR, would we have gotten the New Deal? Unlikely. 
I think we need to unify these interests. Often people think of them as these different opposing positions that you have to take, but in reality, they're not mutually exclusive. They complement each other perfectly. The kind of action that can get people, like, dedicatedly invested in electoral outcomes can be channeled into protests and strikes, and yes. the action and energy in those protests and strikes can be used to foment the birth of a political movement. We have to work together on those, because you are right, electoralism on its own is just a dead end. It cannot work. Um, so, so for example, you, you were talking about yeah, without without uh, li a liberal president like uh, FDR, it wouldn't have been uh, successful. But also, like as you see, the election of uh, Joe Biden without organizing of, of uh, certain states like Georgia, etc., uh, or organization of like registering voters who weren't registered yet, uh, these things have cost a whole lot of more voters so i think a lot of credit for uh, left-wing politicians or either l like more left of center politicians is mostly credited d due to organization uh outside of the parliamentary system uh if, if you look at the like the biggest left-wing politicians that have yeah, existed also in europe but i'm not opposed to this at all i think we should dedicate a tremendous so, amount of energy to these causes electoralism yes. is easy what you vote once every four years i make the arguments for biden or what have you not because i think that biden will solve the problems with this country but because i think him as opposed to trump gives us a few more years to avoid yeah, you know attorney general Barr shooting me in the back of the head personally which I'm pretty yeah, sure yeah. Trump was personally planning to sign off on. So we buy a little bit of time. We sort of build the the, the base that we need for meaningful action. Uh, but I don't think either takes away from the other. Great. Thank, thank you for your answer, because like I, I wanted to know how you thought about that. Um, yeah, but, but, but I most definitely agree with that, too. Um, well, thank you. Uh, I think I should hand over the, the microphone to someone else. Uh, so goodbye, greetings, Sieblen. Have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful right, day. Thank you, Sieblen. The next speaker is Arsen, pseudonym. Hello. Um, yeah, I'm Arsen. Um, Arsen's a crime, you know. I know. Uh, I don't care. Ooh, okay. Um, <laughs> Hit me up. First of all, um, I think Olaf said, like, um, one of the controversies was like Biden is a Leninist, where you said it's a joke. Yeah, that was, I don't know about that one. Um, I think Olaf might have gotten it up with, mixed up with just your whole, um, yeah. Um, I think the main thing you said was uh, Lenin would have voted for Biden, which I'm not sure about. But, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I can defend that. Yeah, actually, I had to do a lot of reading for this, and I did more reading after the video. But yes, I firmly believe that based on their writings, Marx, Lenin, and Mao probably would have advocated that Biden win over Trump. I don't think they would have been, like, running out there with, like, Biden shirts and Biden hats or any crazy shit like that. But all three of them have writing, which affirms the necessity of using bourgeois electoralism as a venue for preventing fascism from overtaking countries. Marx actually has wrote on the potential for non-revolutionary communist activity in the States before, because he thought the democracy in America was potentially capable of fermenting socialism without actual revolutionary violence. 
So, in the, I mean, people would call him a liberal for that these days, but he did write on that. Lenin actually worked with more liberal parties against fascist groups and supported electoralism as long as it ensured the defeat of more conservative groups within countries that had a growing socialist movement. And Mao actually believed it was preferable to work with the nationalists in China against the imperialist and colonizer forces. They work together, after all, against Japan's invasion. So all three of these groups have a shared understanding that the fight for socialism pertains to not only advocating positively for your positions, but advocating negatively against the worst opposition to your positions. And I think there's a lot of evidence out there that fascists, or whatever degree of fascism Trump would have enabled himself, make socialist advocacy way harder like way 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 harder you know um i think that's a fair point um i yeah i'm myself i'm not really sure um i mainly brought it up because i think olaf kind of got two things mixed up i don't think lenin would have voted but i'm not really yeah wanting to go yeah would have voted no, 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 for it's fine. biden it's, it, I'm, I'm inferring it's an opinion that i have yeah. they're not around i can't ask them but based on their readings that's the feeling that i have and i think there are good arguments for it all right um but yeah the main thing i actually wanted to talk about was your debate strategies and then particularly um towards people yeah on the left who you you might call tankies or yeah other yeah similar sure. um yeah um what i was thinking was that generally um you had a controversy i think with the black separatists recently right it's been known to happen it's happened a few times but yeah it's happened yeah um i saw that and like, I used to watch you quite a bit, and I was honestly kind of weirded out um, because I saw what I recognized as kind of logical fallacies that really felt strange to me. Um, and, like, I'm not a black separatist myself, um, so I disagree with both opinions but uh yeah i thought it was very um yeah odd to use would you that say, would you say it was cringe um how do you mean cringe oh sorry uh, you disagreed what specifically did you disagree with i'm happy to clarify a um, no i didn't really disagree that's the point I was trying to make, um, I didn't really disagree necessarily, but I thought, felt you were very much straw manning um, or yeah, whatever. Um, and other, yeah, that's kind of the impression that I got. Okay. I, uh, there's, there is an issue that I have on the left where it feels like leftists are very effective at understanding and deconstructing certain types of propaganda and dog whistling. We're experts at it when it comes to fascists. We are monumentally better at it than liberals are. Liberals will stupidly prets about not understanding this or that or the other, but leftists, we understand, we look at the fascist argument, we understand the subtext. What are they really saying? But 
sometimes it feels like these uh, these analytic capabilities we have, uh, we don't apply them to our own group sometimes. So in that conversation, I saw a reflection of what I consider to be not just uh, extremely politically undesirable behavior, but additionally, sort of an antithesis to what leftists would traditionally consider the best path towards racial liberation. You know, I'm of the Fred Hampton school of the Black Panther Party. We're not going to fight white capitalism with black capitalism. You know, we we fight it with unity. We fight it with a better answer. We fight it with socialism. But sometimes it feels like we're just trying to re we're trying to flip the power dynamic a little bit you know never in american history yeah. have we achieved the racial liberation for black people through black supremacy or anti-white racism it just doesn't seem to work maybe it feels good but i actually fully agree with you on that and that's kind of why i brought it up um because it's very much uh, gave me the impression um as like an yeah it's I kind of no, got uh, blown in from Carson, the outside. Uh, sorry. Sorry. Um, uh, and because of the time, I would have to. Can I tell them that sorry. I love them? Yes, you can. I love you. Can, I appreciate the I question. Finish my sentence. Still, uh, yeah, or... but then we have to, we have to right. have to go to the next one. Um, you said antithesis. Um, so yeah, I kind of missed. Um, well, you put forward a the thesis. She had an antithesis, but there was no real building of a synthesis where you, what you did agree on, and I kind of missed that. I agree with that. I just don't think we have anything to agree on. I honestly just think she reflects the antagonism of the oppressor from the perspective of the dispossessed. I don't know if there can be synthesis between this and that because our goals are opposite. I want equality, but some people want... Well, they just want the other supremacy. It just seems counterproductive. But I understand your concern. I'm sure it'll come up again in the future. <laughs> Thank you. All Thank right. you as well. Thank you, Arson. Thank you, Vars. The next uh, speaker is Jules. Hey, hey. Howdy. Hey, hey, how are you? Doing good. Nice stash. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I uh, will firstly say I completely disagree uh, with your comment on Lenin, but um, I don't think it's time to get into that. Um, he DM'd me and told me about... that I was right, by the way. <laughs> well, uh, what was I wondering? I would I, what I was wondering about. Um, of course, in the Netherlands, we worked in the Socialist Party for a long time, um, and I'm wondering in the United States as a socialist, which party do you think uh, uh, you should join? Um, I have a lot of appreciation for a project which is called Marxist Unity Slate. Um, it's uh, socialists who are in the Democratic Socialists of America. Do you think the DSA is a place where you can promote socialist politics or not? Uh, what's your view on uh, on that? Yeah, for sure. I think because uh, third parties are essentially useless in the United States, you should always be voting Democrat across the board. Uh, but in terms of where you can lend your time and your energy and your, you know, your, your advocacy, I think you should sp be spending lots of time in the DSA, especially since they seem to be a constant clusterfuck. So it might be good to go over there and just, you know, smack some sense out of them, give them some pamphlets, you know, give them... Uh, no, no, the, the DSA is not a party. I'm just saying that, yeah, broadly. But yeah, you should focus on stuff like that. In terms of who you vote for, I think it's probably a waste of time to actually vote for parties that are not the Democratic Party. Okay. Um, well, I would say I would disagree. 
because of course the Democratic Party, while a little bit more progressive than the other side, they're still uh, they enforce the rule of capital. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if you, as a socialist, start promoting uh, uh, voting for a, a very capitalist party, a bourgeois party, um, I think you would completely lose um, any faith somebody could have in you um, being a revolutionary. If you if you say that this system has to be uh, abolished and that we have to move on to a socialist system, but at the same time, uh, on the other side, you're saying vote for this bourgeois politician, um, I don't think uh, uh, you will uh, get any trust from that. Of course, it's interesting that you would say that because Vladimir Lenin advocated for voting for the British Labour Party, which he considered to be a bourgeois and reformist party that was ultimately incapable of serving the revolutionary needs of the proletariat. Now, of course, the British Labour Party at its time was much more left-leaning than the modern Democrat Party, but I think the logic is the same. Even if they would not achieve socialism, even if they just reify and reaffirm the conditions of bourgeois democracy, it is still sometimes essential that you allow the least bad option to win. Well, but I I think the the argument here about Lenin, uh, what he makes is, uh, of course, Lenin, he always said that you have to work within the labour movement. Uh, and the Labour Party was part of the Labour movement, and uh, the, La- the Labour Party was uh, doing lots of action to improve workers' rights. Uh, that's not what the Democrats are doing. Uh, and if you, as a communist, start working, and that's what we did in the SP, we, uh, as communists, we were in a party similar to all Labour in a way, um, where, uh, well, we, we worked there. And I think um, this is also what Lenin is saying. I don't think he would in any way uh, uh, say that you should join up with the Democrats and start spreading socialism within there. Um, but of course, working within the, the labor movement in the, in the labor party at the time, um, well, what I'm saying, it's a different situation anyway. Well, there's not really a joining the Democratic Party, right? I mean, you could vote once every four or two years if you want. But apart from that, spreading socialist theory within the Democratic Party is as simple as running around outside screaming at the top of your lungs. It's just a matter of which soapbox you're given. Bernie Sanders was able to do a lot of good by taking advantage of the relative position and power that you get being a candidate within the Democratic Party, you know? Yeah, I'm just saying that this is not the argument that Lenin is making. And, uh, well, while, you know, having discussions about, well, Lenin would have supported this or that is just uh, as as idiotic as doing Bible studies, um, in a sense. Um, (laughs) That I agree with. I only did all that. If 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 every argument is just uh, saying, well, Lenin would have supported this or that, I don't think that's very useful. Oh, that but, I agree uh, I with. Think, uh, okay, well, then we found some agreement. I only did and all I that because the, the, the tankiers are always going, oh, well, you may have 27 good arguments for X, but here's the one text from one book written by one theorist that says that you're wrong, actually. So I thought, okay, well, if you want arguments derived from biblical studies, then sure, we'll go to biblical studies. And I read up about well, such. Yeah. All right, then I'll uh, lend the word to someone else. So. All right, thank you, Jules. Uh, the next speaker is Jonas. Okay. Uh, <laughs> hey, good night. Can you hear me? Howdy. Hey, and hey. yes. Can you hear me? Am I audible? You are audible and also howdy. Okay, howdy. Um, first of all, I just want to say that I disagree with Rhodes uh, being here tonight. Um, There were indications from inside the party that people felt very uncomfortable uh, with you appearing uh, on road. And um, I feel like you should respect the safety of your members. uh, Could I I ask what safety is being compromised? 
Um, I think it's a general feeling of unsafety that, um, well, the, the argument would be that you would be a transphobe, regardless of me, what I think of that. But the argument would be that you are a transphobe and thus the people supporting you uh, maybe might be okay with that. I think that is a an unsustainable interpretation of both my content and my community. There are probably more trans people in my community than there are like in the in, in the entirety of the the left in in the Netherlands. I would probably wager. Uh, it is absurdly pro trans in here. I can't. I, I'm tripping over trans flags in my chat. Um, but it's uh, so while I while I understand your concerns, I do think it's important to keep in mind that. Um, you know, I weep for the revolutionary who thinks that I'm so ideologically dissonant that it's unacceptable to speak with me. I mean, God, if if, if I'm if I'm outside the purview of safe people to talk to, I mean, your average mm -hmm. working class member of just about any Western country is probably completely out of the rope, right? Mm, sure, I would agree with you, um, except for the fact that. Um, the average working person, you would have an, a possibility to convince them of your ideas. And I feel like your debating strategies have in the past uh, proven to be very um, debate to win, I guess. Yeah, uh, I hear that a lot uh, from folks well, who... Would... Somebody earlier as well said uh, that you are not really looking for a synthesis, but more uh, trying to state your own case. Well, um, I do feel that way when talking to racists, yeah. Like when I talk to white supremacists, yeah, no, talking to racists, but also uh -huh. to leftists. Uh, well, there are some racist lefties. It's been known to happen. What do you think that we disagree yeah. on? Uh, who do you mean, you and me? Yeah, I think we disagree on how you've handled situations of controversy in the past. Um, but like positionally, I mean, I, I won't deny that I've handled stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, I won't, I won't deny that. But like positions-wise, I think I, I think I no, but I think that's an important issue. That I think that in itself is a position. All right. Well, I mean, I think that most of the time when I argue with lefties, I do so in a responsible way. I think there are mm -hmm. problems within our, our our group, especially online, that many people are unwilling to address because they treat the left like a social club, with which res yeah. with 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 respect i think you do as well me being on a zoom call with you threatens no one's safety you act like i'm in a room with you and your friends but no. i'm over in seattle you know this isn't a matter of safety it's a matter of exclusion and inclusion and sometimes the standards we would apply to a social group are not the same that we would apply to a political coalition so by conflating those two you have weird issues like there are people who claim to be anti-racist who are explicitly anti-white in the left, which is very strange to me. And there are people who are supposed to be in favor of feminism, but they're anti-male. And moreover, there are people who claim to be socialists, but they support China. I have no idea how these people consider themselves leftists, but I think it's important to challenge them. Sure, sure. But I feel like uh, that's a different point, because I feel like, indeed, me talking with you right now is not a threat to anyone. But I feel the signal that you give off as a group by saying, okay, this is a person we support because the announcement was very positive uh, for this thing. I feel like that might lead to a feeling of unsafety. I would hope that you would all largely agree with me on pretty much everything I believe. Progressive socialism and advocacy for building dual power, the belief that mm -hmm. LGBTQ rights are valid, that racial minorities should be uplifted. I, I feel like on the broad strokes, we'd probably agree on just about everything. So 
I feel like I... there's just a lot of controversy around me that's largely tied to a lot of leftists' discomfort with the idea that somebody might aggressively challenge bad elements within our community, you know? No, I feel right. Oh, wait, may I hear one last thing? Because I've overtalked yeah. them. I, I apologize. Oh no, it's fine. I think I've made my point. I think you've made your point. I think it's fine. Well, either way, I am happy to be here. Thank you. Okay. Good. All right. Thank you both. Uh, the next speaker uh, is Money. Uh, you have the floor, Money. Money. I love Thank Money. Thank you. Thank you, Vosh. Thank you. I I know you can. You you you're probably a very capable of appreciating my Persian name. So I'm wondering this. So one thing I was wondering, I mean, out of curiosity, was if I would talk about like one element in socialist movements that I feel in the present day isn't very focused on, maybe justifiably, is what is the role of culture within politics in building movements? And, and I'm wondering if I would ask you, it's a, a question maybe that's uh of course i mean sliced in three parts you know if i would talk about like an ideal socialist society what would spring into your mind as important elements of a culture of such a society the other question is what would be the fabric of social cohesion that society because in the past it might have been big concrete worldviews or you know ethnicity what would be the social fabric in this society you know and the last part is, of course, is it important for leftist movements to have an understanding of the minority groups, their culture, to involve them in their movement? Yeah, uh, I'll try to. Oh, I'll try to answer that in order uh, as as best as I can. I think that um, an address of culture is absolutely essential because culture is the main social regulating mechanism that we use to dictate how people engage with the world, and. Some cultures can preclude people towards cruelty, exclusionary behavior, and all these nasty things we don't want to encourage. But what we really need is a culture which uh, it pertains to a strong civil society, a, a very strong appreciation for individual rights, but collective uh, you know, defense of those rights. Uh, you need a culture which is about uh, 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 compassion, and I think most importantly, a proper sociological imagination, a rejection of essentialism more so than anything. Why are things the way they are? Well, almost overwhelmingly because social forces have been orchestrated to arrive at these points, not because things just are that way. I think religious thinking trends heavily with essentialism in many of those ways. Not always, but I think that they tend to correlate at least. Um, with with regards like how, how, how should we push for this, I think, or, or, or like how could we realize this? I think... Um, this is one of the reasons why I really do not like the dichotomy between material conditions and identity politics. Because the reality is, identity politics are material conditions. For gay people in America, whether or not you can marry, for trans people in America, whether or not you can use the restrooms associated with your preferred gender, these are material conditions for them. It's not exactly the same as class, they aren't identical, and class is, I think, probably the biggest and most unifying element of discrimination here in the States, at least, but that doesn't mean that they don't all pertain to material condition. We dismiss things that are part of the culture war, but in reality, the culture war means much more to us than it does to conservatives. For them, it's a distraction. If the working class is upset that all their jobs are going away, blame immigrants. Say trans people are up to something. I don't know. Distract them. But for us... The culture war is about affirming basic human rights, and it's something we should be invested in. And finally, we need to be extremely understanding of elements of minority cultures, I think, uh, for two main reasons. 
First of all, if they're in your country or on your planet, which I think we all are, uh, they have a right to have their perspectives heard and understood. Simple as that. Uh, no matter how small their culture is, even if their values are dissonant to mine, there's at least an argument to be made. There are plenty of things about Saudi Arabian culture that I know I do not like. However, if I were to have an influx of one million Saudi Arabian immigrants into my country, I think they have a right to at least make a case for their culture. And we can see which elements are defensible and which aren't, and as we should do with American culture, broadly. Um, and finally, secondly, we can learn from them as well. Maybe there are things they do, like, better than we do. American culture sucks, you know? It really sucks. The atomization of the family is a huge problem over here. Which cultures do that better? Hispanic cultures. Mexican immigrants tend to have much stronger family ties. They tend to live in multi-generational households. It's something we abandon here because of the American deemed tech bro, strike it out on your own fantasy, but I don't think that's healthy. We should always be considerate so we can learn and so they can live. And that is my, I hit the button. Bang. That's my answer. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a good answer. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll accept it for now. I mean, oh, thank, thank you. Okay, thank you, Mani. Uh, the next speaker is Yessa. Hey yo. Hey yo. Hey, uh, I heard you were pro-gun rights, or am I wrong on that? Um, I'm pro-gun ownership. I'm okay with gun yeah. regulations. Yeah, that, that is something that is not seen uh, as much in Europe. Mm -hmm. But do you think gun ownership should be pursued outside of the United States? <laughs> Probably not. Here in no? Here in America, I'm okay with gu Here in America, guns are ubiquitous. They're mm -hmm. everywhere. There are more guns than people. So here in America, if things ever collapse, if society falls down, it dissolves to dust, you know, there are going to be, and this is a guarantee, far-right militia groups roaming the streets. We've seen it happen even when society is intact, okay? When society falls apart, you know these guys are going to be doing that. And when that happens, inevitably, I would like it for people in cities, left-leaning people, minority groups, you know, I would like it for them to have guns in their house. Maybe they're not going out there John wicking their way across the streets, but if things really do fall apart, I at least want gun ownership to be distributed evenly between the good guys and the bad guys, so to speak. But in Europe, where you guys don't have 50 million guns per person, I, it doesn't seem like an issue worth fighting for, I don't think. Not in the modern era. Yeah, that was basically my question. And also, uh, props to you for coming here and your debate with Charlie Kirk. I really like that. Thank you. Yeah. There will be another yeah. one soon. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. But uh, yeah, that was my question. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Vaj, how are you in gross to time? I am not. A, yeah. I am. I am strapped for nothing. I have got a clear schedule today. Okay. Then uh, we have another speaker, uh, Robin. Hello. Can you Howdy. Oh, uh, some, somebody else should mute. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, two things about gun rights and uh, about voting uh, for Democrats. Uh, firstly, about gun rights. Mm -hmm. uh, I do think that we should pursue it in Europe as well, since uh, the working class movement should be able uh, to defend itself, uh, even here, you know? And uh, like, who has weapons in Europe? also the bourgeois states that can uh, use force against the labor movement to break down strikes, etc. Um, so I do think that there's still a case to be made in Europe as well as a democratic uh, position, just like uh, the United States, uh, as you already made good arguments for, like uh, oppressed people should have means to defend themselves as well. Uh, 
Um, the second uh, thing that I want to ask you is, don't you think that uh, you say like voting third party in the United States is worthless, uh, but if you want to build an independent working class party, don't you think that by voting Democrats, uh, you keep repeating uh, the same logic that way. Like a third party will never get big if you keep voting Democrats, of course. So I do think that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, I think it's a prophecy that'll take place whether you fulfill it or not. Um, it seems like with regards to third parties in the US, they are mathematically incapable of succeeding unless we change first past the post voting. But I don't think that's going to change whether you vote Democrat or not. Now, there are... There is, in the modern era, I think, a slightly uh, increased interest in uh, changing the laws surrounding this. Like Yang, for example, has put forward uh, an, an interest in reforming some of these things, which I think is delightful. I think you can work within systems like that, and I will legitimately support Andrew Yang, at least on that front. But I don't think that... Because if you vote third party, like you're essentially mathematically incapable of succeeding, which means that you can't actually get the policies you're trying to push for achieved i think the best thing that you can do is support the third parties but then you vote for the main ones because it wouldn't have made a difference either way and it's better the democrats win than the republicans but i think it's something we need to fight for like a very uh you know essentially we need to um we always need to keep that in mind as a sort of additional goal to whatever political advocacy we're engaging in as for the gun stuff i, I kind of defer to europeans on this i think because um I know that the conditions surrounding issues like these matter very much. The issue to me is that here in America, the omnipresence of guns is already taken for granted, meaning that defending the existence of those guns is a very easy position to take. They're already all over the place, you know? Whereas I know that in Europe, like, Europeans are scared of guns because they're spooky and loud. So if, if, you, if the left parties are running around going, you know, we should buy a bunch of guns and loosen our gun laws and all own guns and stuff like, I, I feel like because it's out of the norm there, it, you would waste a lot of political capital on an issue that is tangential to people's material interests, at least at the moment. But if it could be done, I guess I'm not that opposed to it, um, though it, it can be a curse, okay? Which country do you live in? <laughs> Wait, why did I ask uh, that? I'm literally talking to a political... Yeah, I don't know why I asked that. I'm literally talking to a political... <laughs> okay, ignore that. Yeah, I don't... Wait, hold on. What is the... Hold on. I, I need to know. Gun ownership... Netherlands. Oh my god. The possession of all firearms is, is prohibited? It's forbidden to use weapons? Okay, well. All right. Look, all I'm gonna say is that here in bad neighborhoods in America, sometimes you... Here in bad neighborhoods in America, sometimes you fall asleep listening to gunshots, okay? That's just, that's a uniquely, that's a, that's a very American experience, so just keep in mind that you might, you might be importing that, uh, you might be importing that nighttime symphony, um, uh, uh, with the guns, you know? Mm. Yeah, I still... Sorry. I still think it's important oh. to also convince people of your principles and position on this. Yeah, I still... Uh-oh. Got somebody somebody being a, being a goofball out there. Uh, yeah, uh, sorry. Sorry, continue. I think there might be a delay. Uh-oh. That's okay. I'm chilling. Okay, sorry. Uh, <laughs> my audio was, <laughs> was totally weird. So I had your stream running in three different tabs uh, while having Zoom open, and then <laughs> I uh, heard myself uh, getting repeated. 
Uh, well, I still think it's important to also conv convince people of the principles arguments uh, for gun ownership, even though it may lose some support in the short term, you know? Like, uh, if you are going to hide away your principles arguments, when are you going to make it, you know? I guess it would, I guess it would, it's really a cost benefit to me. I don't really focus on, you know, which ideological arguments I want to headline. It's more how much good can I do for advocating for this as opposed to how much harm could be done. What's the cost benefit analysis? How many people do you alienate or include? And I suppose it would really depend country by country, you know? I know Switzerland has uh, the fairly ubiquitous gun ownership as well, but in a different way than the United States. So they've done it better than we have, at least. Yeah, I agree, I agree with you on Switzerland. Yeah. All right. Thank you both. Um, then as a last question, we have an audience question from one of our members who couldn't be here tonight. Mm -hmm. um, Nihat asks, um, in the time of Marx and Lenin, it was logical to support liberals for democratic rights. Democrats in the United States won't fight for union rights and the possibility to get a socialist party into Congress. How else can we fight for these rights? Well, you don't fight for the Democrats because they're going to bring about socialism. You fight for them because the alternative is a slip slide into fascism. I feel I, I've always been concerned about this. I feel like leftists historically were the greatest enemies of fascists. And then right around the time that Stalin took control of the USSR, we stopped doing that. Like all of a sudden now we do this social fascism thing where it's like, ah, liberals, fascists, whatever. I see the same. But we should be the greatest enemies of fascists. I would, I, you know, we should be crawling naked through a field of broken glass for 20 miles so we can hit a button that makes it 1% less likely for a fascist to take power rather than a liberal. We, we know how bad fascism gets. We're literally the first people killed every time they take power. They, ki they killed us before the Jews in, in Germany. I mean, they know we're their enemies. We don't seem to know they're ours. So the, the Democrats are just a stopgap. They delay. They buy time. The real way to achieve working class consciousness in this country is not through supporting the Democrats, it's through watching them fail. This is one of the reasons why I'm excited by Biden's, I mean, it's Biden, okay? Working class people in America who have revolutionary potential will never be moved to the far left by watching Trump do bad because all they're going to hear and all they're going to believe is that things are bad because Trump is bad. Of course Trump is bad. Everyone knows Trump is bad. And they believe that if it was just a Democrat in office, things would be so much better. But they're wrong. It's when Democrats fail that people turn to more radical options. And that's one of the reasons why we want Democrats to win too. Not just to stop the fascism, but to let them fail. Put them up on the, on, on the gallows and watch them, you know, fall. It's, uh, it's, it's an essential part of radicalizing people. If you take a look at the voting numbers here in the United States you'll see that this, that this theory bears out in the data. Uh, the fact that uh, Obama, after eight years uh, as president, uh, you know, he was, he was the, the primaries next were Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. And Bernie Sanders did really, really well. He didn't win, but he did great. Then you have four years of Trump. And how does Bernie Sanders do after four years of Trump? Worse. He, he does worse after four more years of Trump. Why? Well, you can find out when you look at why American voters chose Biden. Electability. That's why. Because they were so desperate to get rid of Trump that they would have chosen any Democrat they felt could have won. So they chose Biden. But in a world free of Trumps, in a world free of radically 
dangerous alternatives, the Democratic Party is more open and amicable to radical choices because they don't feel like they're gambling against a fascist autocrat. So this is what we need. Democrats must win every time, and then they must fail to achieve their goals every time. And in the abscess of political power caused by their inadequacy, socialism will grow. It's shadow. That's what Bernie Sanders did, and he radicalized millions and millions of people. This is the strategy for our victory in this country. Now, I know it's not a perfect or immediate strategy, but honest to God, I think it's the only thing we've got right now because, you know, taking to the streets with guns is not an immediately effective or pragmatic solution. All right. Thank you for your answer. Um, is there anyone in our Zoom call who I forgot? Uh, someone other than already spoken people? No? In that case, maybe a Robin would like to add something. Yeah, uh, just one more um, thing about uh, the Democrats. Like, if you keep, uh, you say, like, uh, the Democrats feel and people become radicalized, basically, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to uh, misinterpret your argument. But like, how many times do the Democrats already have failed? You know, so many times. I do think that it's time uh, to be honest about our politics, you know? And um, if we let the Democrats fail, fail uh, by voting on them, etc., people will just become disillusioned uh, with us as well. Uh, like, uh, I think they already proved themselves to be like failures and just manager managers of capitalism um so i st i still understand why people need to convince need to be convinced again of that you know uh, people already saw all the democrats fail so have you talked to an american liberal look i'm on your side i also cannot believe they need to be convinced okay but Unfortunately, yes. You see this every election cycle. You know, they get really hyped up about this or that, the other. And look, if anything, things are accelerating right now, okay? Under Obama, the liberals in this country were very quiet, you know? You can take a look at Obama's approval rating over time, and you'll see it reflective of a sort of uncritical acceptance from the Democratic Party. Biden's approval rating is plummeting. It's below Trump's highest approval rating now. That's crazy. And that's in spite of the fact that by most metrics, Biden is a better president than Obama. More progressive, you know, he's ramping down the foreign intervention as opposed to ramping up, you know, okay. But his approval rating is still going down. Why? The American people expect more. And that disappointment will lead to more radicalization. We just have to make sure it's in the right direction because we don't, we don't want any of these disillusioned Bernie-crat types moving over to like the Jimmy Dore gray zone, proto-fash, Nas bullshit, you know? We got to... Gotta yank, we gotta yank them in, you know? We have to yoink them. Okay, thank you. No, no. Uh, I assume there's a delay uh, on that uh, mic, but I love them. Oh, so them so. since Robin is not replying, that he agrees or is no, I don't, I, I don't agree, but uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. and, uh, in that case, thank you anyway. Um, Arson would like to also add a little bit, and I would like to ask Fash before we go there. Um, how do you want to continue after we finish this question? Oh, I'm 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 totally good for time. We can go on for as long as there are folks who have questions. Um, and okay. uh, if we ever run out, then uh, I guess I'll dab on out. Okay, so I'll give the microphone to Arson, and I think after that we will do a sort of 
quasi open mic, but keep it civil, please. All right. Um, howdy. Yeah, howdy again. Um, I guess I'll just continue on uh, what we were talking about. Um, at least what you, what Robin asked. Um, so you said that um, after the uh, Democrats do shit in office, then suddenly um, people will get radicalized to the left. I don't see that happening. What I see happening is that the Democrats are fucking up and they get reelected. And then a part of the, sure, a part gets disillusioned um, but eventually, um, well, we saw it in 2016 in the US, then Trump came after, like, yeah, after, what's, after the eight years of Obama. And I'm not sure if it really means that now we suddenly get a socialist American alternative. I think the the operative word here might be might be suddenly. There are no suddenlies in this game. It's a long and arduous process filled with inevitable failure. The numbers do bear out in my favor, though, because when we're talking, I'm I'm trying to try to find a, some some set of material predictors to describe what leads to left leaning radicalization in my country. I I I know of course the most about American electoral politics, you know, but I'd be willing to bet this is. This is a somewhat ubiquitous phenomena, okay? Back in 2008, Obama was elected, and everyone was very excited by Obama. We'd had eight years of George Bush. George Bush, you know, we start the wars, 9-11, blah, blah. He was not very popular at the end of his term. And Obama came in riding this wave of optimism. He was our first black president. He was very erudite. He was incredibly professional, which was in contrast to George Bush's sort of folksy, yeehaw mannerisms. But... After eight years, something unthinkable happened. The largest political party in the United States had, for a time, the potential to be led by an honest-to-God socialist, Bernie Sanders. Now, in 2008, this was unthinkable. The idea that in 2008, somebody like Bernie Sanders could very nearly win the Democratic primary was unimaginable. But in 2016, it quickly became a reality. That is... And then, even though things weren't quite as good in 2020, the same process repeated itself. Why? This could not have happened in 2008, not 2004, not 2000, not 1996, not 1992. Back in the Clinton era, this guy was agreeing with the Republicans on, like, all of his economic policy. Clinton was 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 hailed as a hero of the Democratic Party in spite of, you know, being a fairly conservative, deregulatory kind of guy. What we're looking at here is a trend worth examining further. Are the failures of the Democratic Party going to immediately lead to mass radicalization? No, not even slightly. But I'm just looking for things that work. Because, like, let's be clear, nothing else is, here in the States at least. There aren't any other processes that work. I always get this. It's like, you know, well, this isn't going to lead to stuff. Well, I, well, find it, find another thing that'll work. I don't know. Because a lot of people say stuff like mutual aid. Okay, go mutual aid socialism in. Well, all right, sure. You build your unions. Oh, wait, we can't. Union participation is at like 12% of the states. All of our avenues are dead. All the ladders have been burnt 
We're just looking... I'm just desperately clinging to what seems to be one of the few remaining paths we have to meaningfully radicalizing people to the left. And if you, and if you want, by the way, like, this isn't mutually exclusive with any other strategy you have. You just have to make sure the fascists don't win, which I think is like a thing a lefty should believe in anyway, right? Yeah, that's fair. Um, I would say that um, yeah, union participation being at 12%, that sucks. It's not that high here either. Um, but then, yeah, instead of focusing like a ton of yeah, um, effort really into saying, uh, yeah, sure, vote for Biden because else it's a fascist. Um, Biden also voted in laws that said, uh, no, not voted in laws, but under his administration, I think they basically um, yeah, said that socialists and anarchists or whatever are terrorists. Which, yeah. yeah, that's they are they not are, much better, right? He is. He, they are both anti-socialist, but only one of them is fascist. I'm not saying that Biden is good. I'm only saying that he's not as destructively bad as Trump. With respect, you cannot fathom how close we got to the precipice under Trump. General Attorney Barr was legitimately considering bringing up sedition charges against Black Lives Matter protesters. Donald Trump was encouraging our military to be sent in to crack down on protests. We could have very nearly reached like like post-Soviet Union, Eastern European level of police crackdowns in some of these protests. We are we were so close to a sweep and a media blackout and 48 hours later, you know, piles of corpses. It's happened before. It's not like that's something that can't happen in a country like this. But that won't happen under Biden. Or at least it's much less likely to happen under Biden. Does he suck? Yes. But we buy time. And that's all we can really bid for right now. Because under Trump, I mean, Trump was talking about patriotic education, so all the American kids are being educated, like, not taught about slavery, you know, actually, you know, Christopher Columbus was a demigod sent from the heavens to bring civilization to the Native Americans, like, shit like that, you know? There, there are meaningful things we're fighting against, and everything that Biden does that Trump also would have done, while bad, doesn't take away from the fact that he's not doing even a fraction of the bad things that Trump would have done if he had won. I guess that's fair. Um, that's kind of clarifies it. I, yeah, it sucks, but yeah, politics in general right now sucks. Obviously. Yeah, it fucking sucks. I I hate it here. <laughs> I, I do I do hate it. Um, yeah, it's I don't I'm not a particularly optimistic guy when it comes to the potential for like immediate positive action. But I think we can build our communities and I think we can I think we can prevent the worst case scenarios. Um, at least we can work to do our best to prevent those scenarios. We we can we can bid for time and wait for a better day, you know? Revolutionary uh patience. Exact no, no, exactly. Yeah. That's that's a real thing though. Think of all the socialist movements that have handicapped themselves by trying to play their their hands too early. That's happened. Think of uh think of what happened with Rosa Luxemburg, you know? We talk about the social democrats betraying her, but that's only kind of what happened. Rosa Luxemburg was opposed to their little attempted coup. 
their little revolution, you know? Rosa Luxemburg was only brought on as one of the leaders because she reluctantly agreed after the party went ahead on it without her. They played their cards too early, and of course the Social Democrats are going to fight against... Of course, they're Social Democrats. They weren't going to join the revolution. So they all die, and Rosa Luxemburg gets a bullet to the head for because she was the headliner for a movement that she warned against enacting, you know? It is, it's important, uh, you know, it's, it's important, uh, uh, play it chill sometimes. Um, yeah, I agree on that, with, on that. Um, using Rosa Luxemburg as an example kind of feels odd to me. Um, particularly as like, yeah, people like Kautsky, um, sure, they were social democrats, but, uh, yeah, they were still in like the second international, really important, influential communists. So it's kind of odd to then say, yeah, I don't really get that uh, part of your, uh, what you said. It's odd to say, oh, um, yeah, the, they're social democrats, of course they're not going to join. Does that mean that um, like, any party operating in a bourgeois democratic state, whether it wants to rule or not, just isn't gonna do shit. Nah, I just mean you ha you on you only play those cards when you can win, and never, ever, ever before. Rosa Luxemburg is one of my favorite theorists. She was very critical of Lenin's authoritarianism. She was, uh, I I think, in a term based in red pilled, but. Pragmatism is the thing I'm fighting for here, not ideological, like, purity, you know? The most ideologically pure socialist gets radicalized and immediately runs outside to charge into their nearest police station and dies in the process. Congratulations, you've, you've saved the proletariat, you know? No, the, the, what, what I care about are political leaders and movements who are ideologically principled, but are also considerate, pragmatic, and patient enough to bide their time and wait build power and only act when there's, you know, a high chance of, 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 of success, or at least if there's no other alternative. I think, you know, the, the, um, the German revolution of 1918 was a pretty, it was pretty, pretty bad political strategy. And it did lead to Rosa Luxemburg's death, regardless of who's directly at fault, which is really unfortunate because I really liked her. She could have written many more books if she had lived to die of an old woman. Yeah. Um, All right. I uh, completely disagree on it not being the time in Germany at that point. Like, if the Social Democrats just hadn't, uh, yeah, betrayed the communists, who were practically largely their, yeah, their allies, As, then and would that revolution really still have failed? I don't. I'm not sure. We can't know, of course, because they did betray Rosa Luxemburg. Um, but yeah, it's we had just had the uh, yeah the October Revolution. Um, I think it could have been the time, um, and I don't know when the next time will be, but it might be soon. It might be a fuck yeah, like fucking two generations from now when I'm already dead. All right, thank you for our final I just, remarks. I just want to say, oh yeah, I just want to say one final thing to that. And it's like, 
you know, Bernie Sanders is ostensibly an ally of the modern Democratic Party. But if Bernie Sanders led like a revolutionary attack on Washington, I wouldn't be terribly surprised if Biden sent out the troops. You know, I'm just saying, like, I feel like I feel like if you look at some of the conditions present in Germany at the time, it seems like that betrayal was kind of written on the wall, you know. I, I, again, like I'm not, I'm not absolving the social democrats here. I'm only saying that I, we ha we have to be, you know, we have to be considerate, um, because uh, I only care about, you know, when <laughs> it only matters if you win, right? I mean, it's great, it's great and all if you try and lose, but we're not fighting over bragging rights here. It's not about honor or glory. It's about whether or not you can make life better for the revolutionary proletariat. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm just salty that Luxembourg is dead. I guess. All right, thank you, Vosh. Uh, then for closing remarks, uh, I would like to go to Olaf, the chairman. The chairman, yes. Um, but uh, anyway, I think we can uh, finish this, the, the stream uh, now. Um, yeah, just some remarks about revolutionary patience. I think uh, we should uh, be patient and should not, and should wait for the right time and should not uh, commit ourselves to uh, bourgeois uh, institutions like the Democratic Party. Uh, in the meantime, uh, but anyway, uh, we could talk about that for hours, I think. Um, but uh, anyway, I think, uh, thanks for the stream. I think everyone uh, has said what they wanted to say. And uh, for that, I think we can uh, we can round it off. Yeah, uh, well, if I'm to be given the closing statement, I appreciate being brought on, I had a good time. I hope that the people in your community who consider me controversial or, uh, you know, uh, uh, otherwise unorthodox, take the time to listen to what I have to say, and I wish you all luck in continuing to advocate for the interests of progressive socialism in your country. Um, I'm very confident that on the meaningful issues that we would fight for, we would agree on essentially anything and everything, uh, and that whatever disagreements we might have would lie more towards how to best achieve those things, which, to be fair, is that not the spirit of left discourse? It's not like inter-left fighting has uh, been invented by the internet. You know, Marx and Bakunin were writing letters at each other. We were, we were always doing that. I, that's part of the tradition, you know. So, uh, you know, hopefully in spite of all that, we can, we can find those common axes of agreement and uh, try to make the world a little bit better of a place. Thanks. Does that mean the call ends? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. All right, not, I'll take uh, care. Sure Y'all take care now. Just making sure. Just making sure. I gotta just, 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 just clarifying. You know, us, us Americans, yeah. we we're just friendly. You know how it is. Y'all take care. Yes, uh, you too. I will end the call or yeah. leave a meeting. I don't know if I can end the call. I believe in you. Nice. Those uh, American-European cultural differences. Um. I don't think that has anything to do with American-European cultural differences. Nice! How well do you think the Democrats must fail argument holds up in a parliamentary system where people can just vote for another liberal party? Not as well. We'll have to work on a new strategy when we don't just have two parties. <laughs> One thing at a time. Anyway, uh, nice. We had, a, we, had a, we had a good time. The only good thing about this is the theory. Nonsense. I uh, I enjoy talking with uh with with communities that uh that that are wary of me. How nice is that? So they all think you're a transphobe, huh? I don't know, and I don't care. I know I'm not, and you all know that I'm not. Good uh good ass memes out there. <laughs>